and uh, Mark, it's good to be here this morning. I'd ask that you open your Bibles to the 22nd Psalm, and uh, real quickly, just want to share some uh, things with you this morning. Uh, Normandy, the Normandy Panthers went undefeated in uh, their district champions, uh, Julius, who's a senior, Julius Plotz. Um, he plays both ways, offensive and defensive line. And it's been a joy to follow them. He turned 18 today. And so I told him, I said, let's see, you're undefeated district champions. You turned 18, and you don't have a girlfriend. He said, life's good. <laughs> He's ready. He said, take me now, Lord. So that's good. And, uh, so I, I had a picture. And could you turn the light? I want you to see that. Can we turn the lights down? Because I want that picture to... That is such a powerful picture. I just love that. And uh, it's been a blessing because uh, just to see these young men compete, and it's just a blessing. So anyway, Julius, congratulations. District champions. No girlfriend. 18. Yeah, 18. So yeah. And then we have another picture that I thought you might want to see this morning. I thought it was really good. I don't know... No, this is good. Uh-oh. Well, maybe it doesn't want to. I, I want you to, could you tell me who this picture is? We should do this more often, have a picture of, of you know, who is this? You know, who, who is this person? Can we get it or not? Are we good? They're technical difficulties. Oh, there you go. Now, oh, come on, man. I love this picture. I knew this person when they were this age. Yeah. Jenkins? I thought it was Stasny. Oh, it's Jenkins? Is this, I, this is, okay. Okay, Lord, forgive me. You need to see, it's a great picture, and she has such a wonderful, do we have it? There we go, now turn the lights down. Because you gotta, you know, that's a happy child. That's a really happy child. And uh, I think she was really thrilled about her dress. You know, that was the thing she was happiest about. And uh, it's very rare that you'll ever see that expression on Shelly's face. It doesn't happen very often. And so, uh, you know, it's a rare moment. So I just thought you would enjoy that. So, all right, I love you, Shelly. And uh, so you said that was Jenkins? When she was a Jenkins. So now that she's a Stasny, we don't ever have that look anymore, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Paul Jenkins said that's the garrison gene in her. I don't know. <laughs> hey, that goes two ways, you know. Yeah. It is a blessing to be here this morning. Uh, on a more serious note, uh, William Erlinson, and you had given me an update very quickly. Would you share with the congregation, uh, this is your nephew, uh, what, what, he lives in Tyler, had a wreck. In Tyler, Texas, he, is, um, he still has a long road, but thank you so much for your prayers. He is awake. Amen. David, 
Amen. And then uh, Paul, Melinda, Isaac is uh, their grandson had the uh, COVID and he's out of quarantine. And uh, we certainly live in difficult times. So, uh, but this morning, this is going to be the second part. I'd ask that you uh, refer to the handout that was in your bulletin, uh, dealing with the second or the twenty-second psalm. Um, this will be the second and final part dealing with this psalm. I would just say to you, as the psalm begins, chapter uh, the twenty-second psalm, verse one. It is a verse that you're familiar with. Uh, over a thousand years before the moment would take place, uh, it is that place and that time when Jesus on the cross, it says in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus sang out. He literally sang out with a loud voice the beginning of this psalm, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He sang that at the cross, the if you know the history, that is the celebration of the Passover in Jerusalem. When Jesus is arrested, he's illegally arrested. Uh, Roman law was broken. Jewish law was broken. Uh, he is illegally convicted. And he is illegally crucified. And on the cross... Um, one of those moments he sings out with a loud voice, uh, the beginning of this psalm, the 22nd Psalm. At this point in history on that weekend, as people had come from miles and miles around Jerusalem, the surrounding area, to celebrate uh, the Passover, this song would have been sung. This song was a familiar song. History has recorded it. Jewish history has recorded it. This was a well known, uh, often song, uh, sung song, song in their synagogue, weekly synagogue meetings and assemblies and in, in their national places, just uh, moments just like this, the Passover, they, the people, God's people sang the psalm. It was well known. And it was referred to as the psalm of the Messiah, the Savior of Israel, God's Savior. And what their understanding, and it should be our understanding, is that David, King David, over a thousand years before the crucifixion, he would write this psalm, he would put this to music, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, David, King David, would write this psalm. And the thought was, and the thought continually moving forward, and, and is even today, that this being a psalm of the Messiah, what did that mean? It meant that if, if, you were, if you sang the psalm, if you read the psalm, if you studied the psalm, something would become evident, something would be true. And that truth was that if, when the Messiah would come, there's things that you would know about him. This psalm identified the theology or the doctrine of the Messiah. So in other words, there are four things that are going to happen in this psalm. There, there is a question, there's a request, uh, there is a, this concern, and then there is a response. So the psalm, 
deals with the question. Well, there's the first question. We studied this last week. This question, this, it is the question. I mentioned I visited with the kids this morning, and they're always fabulous, uh, really on top of their game this morning. Uh, and I asked them, you know, you're awfully young, but have you been to a point in your life where you're at a point where things are very troubling? You're, you're in a very difficult time in your life, and you're crying out. You're needing questions uh, answered. And you may not even ask anybody the question, but it may just be a question you're having in a conversation with God, something that comes out of your mind. And the kids were very honest about that. Um, and I said, so, okay, you've been there. If you haven't been there, you're going to be there. There'll be a point in your life where you're going to be searching for an answer. And life's most difficult answers. And when you're at a point like that in your life, there's several things at play. This 22nd Psalm starts with um, really everything that is behind um, those desperate moments in our life, whether we're even aware of it or not. If you've been to that point in your life where you're crying out, what, my God, my God, why has that forsaken me? Or God, where are you? Where are you, God? I need your help, God. What is going on here, God? I'm alone. I'm lost. I'm hurt. I'm, I'm afraid. Um, that's where this question comes from. And, and for those of you who are a little older, you, you have been there. And you have had those moments in your life. And what is really behind that place is a sense that God has abandoned me. So the theology and doctrine of the Messiah in a song. Um, the people 2,000 years ago understood it. We need to understand it. And I talked about that last week. But so if we continue to read, it says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but thou does not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Now, huge word here. The, the word yet. Now, I mentioned in this handout, this yet. What does that mean, yet? I mean, it's, it's inserted here. You have this question. You've got a burden. Uh, and this yet. And so, what does that mean? For the Messiah... It, describing very clearly this singing out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The word yet means that something greater is taking place. There's something that intercedes, supersedes, takes the place of, overcomes, and overrules this place. It was very clear that there is something, and no matter where you're at in your life, and no matter what's going on in your life, and you feel alone and desperate, and God has forsaken you, yet there's something. There's something, and this is the doctrine and theology of the Messiah. Now, it needs to be the doctrine and theology of the church and the individual Christian. This needs to be deeply in, inside of us, spiritually, intellectually, emotionally. There's a greater truth at play. Yes, I feel forsaken. Where are you? Yet. Yet, there's something that's going to 
that's higher than, that supersedes, that intercedes, that overcomes and overrules this feeling of desperation. And I mentioned last week, and just as a form of, uh, of recap, it's the holiness of God. Now, this is where it was really good with the kids. This was where it was great. So I said, so no matter, in, in, in life's most desperate moment, the most desperate moment that you'll ever be in in your life, um, you need to know, Christians need to know, preachers need to preach, the church needs to be aware of this, the church should proclaim it and live according to it, there's something greater. There's something that supersedes and intercedes, and that is the holiness of God. But so then, now that's where it got great this morning. I said, so then if that's the truth, tell me what holy means. We talked about it. Brian's got his hand up. What do you think holiness means or holy means? It, yes, sir, it does. It does mean God because there's only one that's holy, and that's God. Thank you. And then what they added to that was they said it's just kind of hard to describe. It is indescribable. Then they would say uh, it means perfect and without sin. Yeah, yeah, perfect and without sin, pure. And so, so I just want you to think, um, if you're at that point in your life and you feel completely abandoned and deserted and even from God, there is something that you can be sure of that is far greater than that fear. And that's what Jesus was, as he sang out loud on the cross, he was reminding them. He was the living Messiah. He was now the dying Messiah. And if there was ever a place where you could think God had forsaken you, it would be there. And they knew the rest of the hymn. They knew it. They could sing it like you and I could sing Amazing Grace. Yet, there's something I can be sure of, and it's the holiness of God. It's the holiness of God. We should be talking more about that. We should be so deeply rooted in our understanding of the holiness of God that everything else that's going to be addressed and take place in this psalm could be addressed and take place in our life. And so just as a recap, so, in spite of the overwhelming fear, yet the holiness of God supersedes, intercedes, overcomes, overrules my feelings of separation from God. So we need to focus on, learn the truth and personal value of God's holiness, yet. And so, then you get to the next uh, place, and this is verse 6, where he says, this is a burden. I'm a worm. I'm not a man. A reproach of men, despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They, they wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue you because, or let him rescue him because he delights in him. That happened at the cross. If there was ever a place that this psalm sings about and then the, I mean, the living, it was the cross. People were wagging their head at him. He saved others. Let him save himself. They mocked him. And so, if your burden has ever been that burden, then what we finished last week, yet, there's something that supersedes that. 
You ever been there before? Everybody's turned their back on you? You're being mocked? Maybe it's because of something you've done that you deserved. Wasn't the case for the Messiah, but it could be the case for you and I. And we know on the cross something did happen. Paul wrote the Corinthians that he became sin. The writer of Hebrews, we talked about it last week. We have a high priest that can sympathize with us. Jesus Christ was fully God and he was fully man. And yet though he was tempted in everything, he didn't didn't sin. So he can sympathize. On the cross, he became sin. He became your sin and my sin. And he had this burden. But yet, and this is the thing that you and I have to remember. You exist. You only exist. You only are breathing. Because before the days of your life had been ordained, God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fearfully and wonderfully make you. I'm going to knit you together in the secret place of your mother's womb before it even happened. And all the days of your life were ordained. Now, if that doesn't overcome anything, the brokenness, the loneliness, the sin, the abandonment of friends, the, 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 of all the terrible things that we do to each other, there is a greater truth, and that is the God of all creation determined you would live. You would live. Now, two things. I can live with that. And I can die with that. Jesus would say, and the scripture would say, he was no respecter of men. Sometimes our best friends can turn their back. Sometimes family and people that we never thought would hurt us or betray us. They do. People do. People let us down. And we can be overwhelmed by that. The Messiah experienced it on the cross. But he knew the doctrine and theology of the Messiah was this. There's something greater going on here. And that is God gave me life. God gave me life. He gave you life. Now today, we're going to continue reading in this third, this request. We have a question. We have a burden. And we have a request. Verse 11, be not far from me for trouble is near. There's none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me. And as a ravening and a roaring lion, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Picture of Christ on the cross. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And thou dost lay me in the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They look, they stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. 
the Messiah, the song of the Messiah. And then this phrase, but thou. There's your yet. There's your yet moment. Instead of saying yet, now, because of this, I have a request. There's a request. I have a question that needs to be answered. I have a burden that's overwhelming. And now I have a request. In, in, in the midst of all my suffering, untold level of, of suffering, I have a request. And so the truth with this request is, it's, but thou. This is greater than. This is supersedes, it intercedes, it overcomes, it overrules. We need to know this. We do. If you've never been in this point in your life, I believe you will be. I believe you'll be in all these places that the psalmist David would write and Jesus would live. And you better know and I better know the yet and the but thou. And here's the but thou. But thou, O Lord, be not far off. That's not a, 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 that's a truth. And once again, I didn't talk to Don. That great passage, he says, you know, that great passage, you know, that the writer of Hebrews would say, Jesus would say, and it would be quoted, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I never will. It may seem that way. There may be moments in your life there could be just such a great depression that's surrounding you and a, and a moment that seems to overwhelm you and, 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 and all you can do is make this request and there's great fear. And the truth is, God is never far off. O thou my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the, de of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. Thou dost, thou dost answer me. Not might, will, could, but he does answer me. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there. And I wish this wasn't true. But I, I, I believe our faith grows. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. But I believe our faith grows as we go through these times in our lives. Now, it could be dismantled. What do you mean? Jesus teaches a parable, Matthew 13, about a guy walking down the road. He's a farmer and he's got some seeds and some seed falls beside the road, and some in the rocky places, and some in good soil. And as he explains it, he would say the seed is the word of God. And that, that seed that falls beside the road, it, it, there's a truth about it. The seed is the word of God, and so the seed, you know, it's like people immediately, well, I received that, I've seen that, all, in 30 years of ministry, I've seen that. I've seen it in prison units, I've seen it in churches, I've seen it in the experiential uh, reality of a person's life. Man, I like this John 3, 16. I like this eternal life. I like the forgiveness of my sins. I'll receive that, yes. Yeah, they'll receive it with joy. But like Jesus was in a little trouble. He said, just a little trouble. A little trouble. Just a little trouble comes along and Satan snatches it away. I will tell you, and I believe it's really, truly because of this. 
I believe there's a lacking. And what is lacking is the doctrine and theology of the Savior, the Messiah, on the cross. It's in the song. And these kids need to know it. Either he is the God who's never far away and he's there and they'll never leave you nor forsake you. You need to know it at times like this. You're going to experience it. You're going to experience these moments where this is life and death. There's nothing. This is the place where people commit suicide. It really is. But thou, be not far off. The more you live that, the more you know that, the more you experience it, you see that, that good soil faith. The second part of that parable, there's the one that falls beside the road and a little trouble comes along and even though they receive the word of God with joy, Satan will take it away. The second part is even more problematic. This is the seed that goes into the thorny places and what happens? Anxiety and the riches of the world Choke it out. Boy, I have seen that. Anxiety. Anxious about earthly things. And riches. Choke it out. But then there's that good soil. And I wish it didn't have to be this way, but the good soil comes from these places where the seed has to fall and die and then be reborn. And it's reborn. And the regenerative power of God on this understanding. But thou, Lord, be not far off. When you know that, because you've been here, you can always be sure that you'll be delivered. You'll be assisted. You'll... you'll You'll be delivered. You, you, you'll, you'll get an answer. Thou dost answer me. And then the final. The response. I have a question. I have a burden. I have a request. Yet, yeah, yet, yeah, but thou. And then here's the response. This is the response. Verse 22. I will tell of thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise thee. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. From thee comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation will worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's. What, what was the first sermon of Jesus? When the Sermon on the Mount, you go to the Gospel of Mark, he began to preach. He said, repent, what, why? For the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and what did he 
preach on the sermon. They said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be answered to you. This is kingdom stuff. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Posterity, posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation that they will come and will declare his righteousness. The people who were born or who will be born that he has performed it. Now, very quickly, I, I'm gonna, we're just going to do this whole section next week. The response. Because as we have cried out to God, and we've had this, the, the, those questions, and, and we've had the burdens, and we've had the requests, there is quite plainly something that needs to be taught and be discussed. And that's the response. The scripture says, Paul would say, John would say, you'll know God's people by the fruit they bear. You'll know them. We know what Paul wrote to Galatians, the fruits of the Spirit. We know how the Gospels ended in Matthew 28, 19 and Mark 16, 16, going to all the world and preach the Gospel. We know in Acts chapter 1 and verses 8, he told the apostles, you go to Jerusalem and you wait to receive power on high and you'll be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and even the remotest parts of the earth. The reality of a person who has the theology and doctrine of the Messiah is this. No matter how lonely and lost and, and far off and that God has forsaken me, yet there's something greater. There's, a, there's something that supersedes that's the holiness of God. It doesn't matter how badly that I fail, God gave me life. He gave me life. He had a plan for me. And it doesn't matter where I'm at in life, the question can be answered. He will never leave me nor forsake me. And church, if we believe that, and when a church believes that, and when a Christian believes that, and when a Christian husband and a Christian wife believe that, divorce is not. Listen, you won't. You don't have to worry about divorce. You get a Christian husband and wife that knows this, the song of the Messiah, the yets, the yets, the but thou, divorce won't be an answer. Abortion will never be a concept that would have to be politicized or argued over. Fear of anything in any circumstance. You look at David. He goes, his father sends him to look for his brothers. They're at war with the Philistines. He, he, he said, you go take provision, this young shepherd, 17-year-old shepherd boy. And he goes up and Goliath is there. There's this valley right between them. The Philistines are high on a mountain. The Israelites are high on a mountain. There's a valley. Their champion comes out, David, and he is mocking the armies of the living God. And Saul, the king of God, was fearful. The armies of the living God, Israel, those who strive with God were fearful. And David wants to know what's going on. What's going on here? His brothers mock him. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that mocks the armies of the living God? Little shepherd boy. He knew. He knew. Hmm. I believe that's why he wrote this song. He knew something about messiahs, saviors of God's people. He knew. He knew. God never forsake me. He's holy. I serve a holy God. He's never left me 
or forsaken me. He gave me life. And he would say when he went to Saul, and he'd say, he said, how could you, just a boy, how could you? He said, man, from the time of my youth, I was keep taking care of my father's sheep, and the, and the bear and the lion would come, and God would give me deliverance. And if you read the story, he, he said at some point, I would grab that animal by the beard and slay him. But he understood the power of God, and he would not live in fear. And he sings a song. And not as he have all the issues, he now has the response. Now, let me just say one thing, folks. You go to verse 23. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All your descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. I'm going to end here. It's an election year. You know that. And Tuesday... This country is going to vote. Many have already voted, from what I understand. Uh, more people have voted in this election in early voting than uh, ever before. Lots at stake, isn't it? Something troubled me recently. I have uh, watched the Trump rallies, and uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm always uh, entertained at the very least. I know the talking points, but something troubled me. I've heard all the chants, the uh, four more years, four more years, you know, all the people get inspired, thousands show up, you know, a lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm. But recently, I had not heard this before. Uh, recently, one of the chants was, we love you, we love you, we love you. And when I first, the very first second that I heard it, I thought, well, that's kind of, and then I stopped. I said, oh, no, 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 don't say that. Don't say that. God will not share his glory. God will not share his glory. Now, I think I understand where this sentiment is coming from. And it's certainly okay for you to tell your husband and wife you love them and your mother and your father that you love them, and your children that you love them. This was something else. And it, and it spoke to me overwhelmingly uh, what the people that are considered evangelicals, Christians, are supporting Trump. They are, that's a fact. I'm, I'm not going to get into all that. But I thought to myself, and I will tell you this, nobody here knows who's going to win this election on Tuesday. We don't know. But God knows. He's already determined it. And you and I have very little to do with it. We, we actually, we have nothing to do with it. We have the right to vote, and we should use that. God has determined who's going to. All authority in heaven and earth has been established by God. It will be no mystery to God. And whoever wins that election, it will be because only one and only one God has determined that's who is going to win that election. End of story. To believe anything else would be believe a lie. It would just be a lie. And I don't know who he's going to give us. But I know this. God will not share his glory. And there's something inherently wrong in a man. If we can adore a man. I want you to be challenged by this. 
This was the response of the king of Israel sharing the theology and the doctrine of a Messiah, somebody who would be the savior of God's people and all nations, by the way. God will not share his glory. And the reason I say that this morning before this Tuesday is that we may be very, 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 very fast, very quickly approaching a time where God's people will be mocked for their faith. It is already happening. God's people may be ridiculed for their faith. God's people may find themselves in the court system because of their faith. Things that, by the way, that's already happening. There are legal cases throughout the land, and they exist. Don't take my word, you do your research. Where churches are being, individual preachers are being challenged, sued, because of hate speech. And the hate speech that's being challenged, there is a legal movement in this country to take away the 501c3 statuses of churches. It's happening. Don't take my word. Do your own research. The media is not reporting it, but you can find it. And we may be fastly approaching that time where preachers will be censored. And at the very least, if we preach something that's not in line with cultural, what, we, what the culture believes, we could have our tax status taken from us. We could be forced to we could be brought before judges in the courts of the land. I very much believe this could happen, and in fact, I believe it will happen. I believe it is happening. And then this whole thing can really become real. We may feel at times that God has forsaken us. People are turning against us. Could you imagine what it must have been like to be alive 2,000 years ago? Could you imagine? And you said you were a Christian? And your Jewish family members were turning you in? Just read that 11th chapter of Hebrews. The people that live by faith. And the things that happened to them. Simply because they chose to live by the yet and the yet and the but thou. They chose to live my life according. He's holy. He gave me life. And he'll never forsake me or leave me. And they were brought before courts of laws and evil men and they had their tongues cut out and their eyes pierced and they were killed they were sawn in two the writer of Hebrews said in 11s and 38 that the world is not even worthy of these people I don't know what's going to happen this next week but I know we should never put glory in a man and when we glorify a man as our hope and our salvation. And that man is not Jesus Christ. Oh, that makes me shudder. And you and I, the church, we should know that. And we should be teaching our children that. We're going to talk about the response next week. I wish to God that the people of God would assemble 25,000 at an airport when it was 30 degrees outside. 30,000 here. People driving hundreds of miles. 
because a man was coming to town. And they'd gather around that man and they'd say, we love you, we love you. And that man is Jesus Christ. It's not somebody running for president of the United States. I mean that, church. We should be checking our heart and our spirit now. It's a sad day when Christians complain about the song service. It's a sad day when Christians complain about the, the preaching or the spoken word or the condition of the facilities or whatever it is. It's a sad day. None of this is about you and I. It's about him. We love you. We love you. We love you. And pouring out from the depths of our soul, giving him glory. That's what this psalm is about. And that's what the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Savior is all about. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do love you. We love you. I pray, Father, that you do spare us of all the wickedness of Satan and his minions and the darkness that is to come and the darkness that already exists. I pray that we would be delivered. I pray that we could just know and live and believe that you'd never leave us nor forsake us. You gave us life, Father, and that you are indeed holy. I pray that, Father, that we could be spared of all the wickedness and the darkness and the sin of men. But more than that, Father, I pray is, my prayer is that as we live in the misery of all the darkness and sin and the brokenness of this world and the earthly things, that we know the song of this Savior. That we live trusting in your holiness. We're grateful for the life that you've given us. And we're so thankful that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. And it is in the, same in the name of the Messiah that we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen.